Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm, I'm good, thanks. I'm good, thanks, yeah. And welcome all to a game of my life with Orient legend, Mr. Peter Kitchen. Pete, I'm so glad that you've joined us on this podcast because I do want to talk about that iconic game when Orient knocked out Chelsea out of the FA Cup for the second time in the 70s. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to go through the uh, the teams and, and your memories of, of that game. But I also want to talk about the times around that game and the build-up to that game, the FA Cup run, which to this day is Orient's greatest uh, appearance in the FA Cup. And you've scored seven out of those nine goals. And and the kit and everything was just iconic. So, first of all, your, your memories around that time. And was there any songs that evoked memories from that wonderful time? Because 77 to 79 are some great songs in the charts. Um, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, for me, it was, I mean, I just, I just moved to Orient in the summer. So, you know, I went to Orient from Doncaster. I'd been scoring loads of goals for four or five years and was desperate really to get a move and, and try to play higher up. So, but, you know, Doncaster were pricing me out of the market and asking for huge fees and, and, and then Orient, um, came in and they agreed a fee because I was out of contract anyway yeah. at the yeah. end of the season and I moved to Orient because they were in the championship and I thought you know this is a great opportunity to to ply my trade higher up and you know we started off we I'd only played two games and the manager got the sack yeah. <laughs> which was a terrible start because I hadn't even moved into the house I'd bought um, and Jimmy Bloomfield came in and uh you know, Jimmy had come from Leicester, Leicester City, and you know he wanted to play good football. And um, you know, we we started we started in the FA Cup, and and really we we were sort of in the league. We were just below halfway, doing okay, you know, ticking over. But you never got the feeling we were going to do that well in the season. But you know, I started scoring after about four or five games. I got into my stride, got used to the used to the the lads around me as such and um we started in the in the third round and it was the first match of the of the third round we played norwich city at home we were in the premier league or the first division at the time and john bond was the manager and and um we we drew one all you know we did very well and matched them but no one gave us an op you know gave us half a chance really of, of winning the replay everybody said oh yeah you know Norwich have done the job and we went to Carra Road and you know we we outfought Norwich we we played very well on the day um and I scored the winner with about two minutes to go yeah. and we beat them one nil so you know it wasn't a fluke we'd beat them over two games the second game was the second uh, the fourth round sorry was against Blackburn Rovers 
And Blackburn were doing very well in the in the second division, and quite honestly, they they murdered us for 70 minutes. We were chasing shadows, you know. They got some good players in the team, and a uh, really solid team at the back, and and um, you know we, we we were chasing shadows, and and then with about 15 minutes to go, we we pushed up, uh, or Jimmy pushed up Big Nigel, who was centre half. And um, so there was like him and Joe Mayer, who's my usual strike partner, who's a big lad as well. And we started, you know, we started route one football and um, ball came up. Nigel um, challenged somebody and ball ran through and I, I took it round the keeper, but I was very wide and I cut it back and scored from a very acute angle. And, you know, we, we were losing one nil at that stage and, we got back into an equal, and then we scored two goals in the next five or six minutes, and we got through. and And um, Jim uh, Jim Gregory, I think, he was the manager. Um, you know, the old bald eagle, Jim Smith. Um, Jim Smith, sorry. Um, he, he was the he was the manager of Blackburn. He said, "I can't believe how we haven't won this game," and it was true. Yeah. You know, we couldn't argue. So. We drew, we drew Chelsea in the in the next round, and um, uh, we we the game was televised um, on ITV on the big match as such, and uh, they they came with you know Chelsea brought as many fans as we had, you know it was a it was a sellout game, um, and you know no one really expected us to to win that game. And as it went, it, it was a very tight game. It ended up nil-nil. Um, I think I scored a goal in the first half, but it was disallowed. Um, and then in the second half, Chelsea came at us. They had, you know, they had some very good players. There was Ray Wilkins, um, you know, the big lad, great big rock at the back, you know. Um, Benetti in goal. Um you know, just they—they they were about mid-table in in the first division, and uh, and I think Jacko, our goalkeeper, big John Jackson, he pulled off a a superb save with about two minutes to go and kept us in the game. So we thought that's it. You know, <laughs> we'll go to Stamford Bridge, uh, which we did about ten days later, and uh, we the it was freezing cold it was late february it was freezing cold the pitch at stamford bridge in those days was you know it was wet and muddy and um and you know we 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 went out there and you know we were chasing shadows really and um you know chopper harris was was uh, following me all over and uh, whacking me every time the ball came anywhere near you know it was a you know his reputation went before him, but he it was all true, and uh, you know he followed me around, and every time the ball came in, he kept getting in, and and then a an aimless ball over the top, and our fullback Bill Roffey he tried to make a back pass to the keeper, and he lobbed it over his head and scored for them. Yeah. Uh, it was an own goal with about after about 35 minutes. Well, you know heads went down and and. Uh, I think really at that stage, you know, it was it was very difficult. Couldn't couldn't see us winning this game, and um, but I don't know what happened at half time. To this day, I can't remember what was said because 
Jimmy Bloomfield, who was the manager, was actually in hospital. Yep. Um, he wasn't at the game. We didn't know at the time what was wrong, but but apparently he had um, bowel cancer. Yeah. And uh, and his assistant uh, Peter Angel, who who'd been a long long time servant at the club and really lovely guy, played you know played for QPR, had a good career himself, and. Uh, you know, he was just a very positive guy and he just encouraged us all at half-time to go out and, you know, give your best and, you know, try to get forward a bit more. And and second half, it was like a different team. Yeah. And um, I think a couple of times the ball came to me and I and I, I sort of dummied and got away from from Chopper Harris. And, and then... I scored a couple of really, really good goals. I mean, the first one is, is um, you know, I'm trying to think now how, how it sort of came about. I think I was it was not clear on the right-hand side and, you know, down the channel. And I was I just ran onto it and I was a couple of yards from Chopper and he was he was coming in. And But by then I'd managed to get inside the box. And obviously defenders hate that yeah. when you, when you're running at them and you get inside the box, they're, they're very reluctant to to dive in. And I, you know, I, I mean, my one of my skills was was dropping my shoulder. And to this day, I couldn't tell you what what I was doing. I mean, it was instinctive. Yeah. And uh, I dropped my shoulder and uh, to as if I was going to the down the line. And instead, I chop chop back, uh, check back inside. And uh, beat beat Chopper Harris, and then uh, I think Mick, Big Mickey Droy came across, and and uh, again I dropped my shoulder, and he dived in, and I went the other way, and I was sort of about to hit it with my left foot, and all of us from the corner of my eye saw I think it was Ian Britton coming across, and so again I just sort of flicked it to one side onto my left foot, and and he went diving in <laughs> disappeared <laughs> and I suddenly looked up and there was nobody there just yeah. just Benetti and then it's just a matter of you know taking your time and and you know finding out where looking at where he was and then you know shooting it home so you know it, it's one of those goals you you don't see very often and it's instinctive you yeah. just you just do it if that's the sort of player you are you know and um I think the second one um we were under pressure then, and I think Glenn Rolder broke. You know, Glenn Rolder, who who sadly died, um, you know, the, earlier this year, and was a very good good um, defend player, a defender who could play with the ball. You know, he, yeah. he was confident on the ball. He had this wonderful trick, a step over trick, and and he was very competent. You know, he could play in midfield if he wanted to. Well, he broke clear from the back, and I. Sort of, I I went on a run across uh, towards the right hand side and took one of their defenders with me, expecting he was going to slot it to me, and he knocked the ball into Joe, big Joe, who was on the left hand side, who ran at their fullback and hit it across. And I, you know, suddenly I'd sort of lost my man with the run, and I, you know, I came back in the box, and as the ball came across, I managed to control it in one one touch control and then slotted that one in so it was a it was a wonderful day for us and and really you know the second half we were a different team and it, it always amazes me that if we could have recreated that form in the league we would have 
done a lot better, but you know, but it was it was a wonderful game, and to beat Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, you know, that was the second first division side we played, and we beat them both with with um, with a replay. So it wasn't a fluke, if you know what I mean. You know, it was it was hard work and and getting the look and the breaks at the right time. Absolutely. The first game when you played Norwich, you played against a World Cup winner as well. Martin Peters was in the Norwich City team. And Norwich, 77, 78, 79, they had a really, they had a decent team, didn't they? They were a good first division team. So that was one hell of a scalp for, for the Orient. Yeah, I mean, they, and they played open attacking football. Yeah, they did. They was a good team. Was, they, had Martin, they had Martin Peters in mm. midfield. Uh, they had Jimmy Neighbour, um, okay. who'd been at Spurs. Um, I mean, Kevin Keelan was in goal, who, who played there a long time. Yeah. Um, I think uh, Colin Sullivan, who I later played with at Cardiff, he was the left fullback. And I think John um, John Ryan, who who played at, at Luton and uh, and he played at Norwich for a while. You know, they they had a very good side, and and um, John Bond was the manager. Yeah. Um, you know, who went on to to manage Man City and was a really you know it was just a really really good side and and I believe immediately after the game um he actually offered 110,000 for me wow. um you know he sort of Ipswich Ipswich had, had been for a trial um with them at the end of the season before and they they didn't sign me because they you know they they, they Doncaster wanted a lot more money yeah. and they couldn't agree a fee but but Bobby Robson was trying to sign me, and uh, and he fell through. And after that game, John Bond made an immediate cash offer, and I actually saw Bobby Robson in the stand, in the bar afterwards in the in the players' lounge, and he actually said to me that he made a mistake not signing me, which yeah. I thought was a wonderful thing to say for somebody of his stature. You know, he didn't have to say that. But he came over and said he'd made a mistake not signing me, and uh, so it was. It was a really wonderful time for me and for the club at that time. And as you said, we had that we had that iconic braces kit, you know, which which even to this day, you know, they did a replica shirt last last season at, at Orient, and even today that the fans just love that kit. You know, I think it's sort of the 70s for Orient were, were the era for them. You know, they, they got promotion from from the old uh, third division in 1970. And they were an established championship side really up to 81, 82 when they got relegated. And, you know, that kit is sort of has become, you know, recognized as, as the sort of one of the, the key times in that in that era you know and they they were on a as a club sorry i was just going to say yeah. that on a club because i signed for them they they were on a par with crystal palace yeah. uh, fulham charlton um uh, millwall you know that there were five or six teams all on a similar level and yet you know orient since 81 82 <clears throat> they they just really went down through the leagues and, and never really recovered Absolutely, yeah. and and the badge was icon. I mean, it's a great badge. The program, everything about Orient was was championship. And had they been able to have a little bit more money and and spend it, um, and develop the team, 
probably could have got, you know, into that top level and, and been a decent first division team because, you know, you were the equal of Chelsea as well at, at, in those days. You had some good results against Chelsea, uh, didn't you, in the uh, the mid to certainly late yeah. and early 80s? Well, yeah, I mean, in the, in the um, I think it was 72. Yes, they, it was, yeah. Yeah, I think they they beat Chelsea in that, in that in that season um in the fifth round again um you know and and they had a cup a couple of you know they they lost to arsenal i think which is yes. ironic because we lost to arsenal in the semi final yeah. um but yeah they they did i think you know they made a lot of money in the fa cup run that that season and uh, i think you know this is my own view and it's not always a popular one but but i don't i think we we um wasted the that sort of um the money that was made because you know at the time jimmy was was a a coach who who bought he liked experienced players yes and he you know he wanted players to play well and you know there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with wanting players to come in but a lot of the players he brought in were in their late 20s early 30s yes and whilst they were had been very good players mm. and one or two still were good players i mean thinking like ralph coates was a very good player still um you know a lot of them were were past their best yeah. and you didn't have any longevity yeah. and and whereas we'd had a good a good youth team when i joined that i mean they they had a very good youth side they had like glenn rolder um uh, tony Grealish. Nigel Gray, Bobby Fisher, I mean, Laurie Cunningham had come through and, and been sold. So they'd had a very good youth policy and these younger lads coming into the first team. So we had a really good balance. But by the end of this, the decade, <clears throat> they'd sold five or six of the best players. Mm. You know, um, Glenn, Glenn went, uh, Phil Holdley was sold to Norwich. Um, I, I left, uh, Tony Grealish was, was sold, um, and uh, I think there's a couple more that, was, that, were, that were sold. And then they, the players coming through, there weren't any more young lads coming through. Yeah. And the longevity of the players that we got, whilst they had been good players, you know, you need a better balance. And that was missing from Orient. And I think once they, you know, once they got relegated... Um, you know that the legacy of that that particular period in their history, they never had the money to recover. That's you it. know, I mean, you know, I mean, like Barry Hearn bought the. I mean, we had a couple of of directors coming in, <clears throat> that and all they were doing were keeping the club afloat, which is which is wonderful in itself. Yeah. But if you want to take a club forward and develop, you have to spend money. There's there's no other way. Mm-hmm of doing that you, you know you've got to invest well and bring decent players in and i don't think they ever had a manager that could really do that no i think you're absolutely spot on and when you referenced uh, both glenn and Laurie, they was they was both young'uns at arsenal and didn't quite cut it at arsenal and then orient uh, 
got their signatures and played them in their youth team. And Orient are in a great position that there are a number of clubs around in London and it's only opinions of coaches and one don't fancy you. So let's let's bring them into our youth team. Let's talk about that first game at Brisbane Road. I'm going to call it the Gorilla game because there was a Chelsea fan dressed as a gorilla and there's a good link to the 72 game because Phil Oadley scored uh, one of the goals uh, in the 72 game against Chelsea and was in that side that played them in 1978. Ken Chiletto was the uh, the manager of Chelsea. Chelsea were really on a downward spiral. Hudson and Osgood had been sold. Uh, Charlie Cook is no longer there. Benetti's still in goal. Uh, Gary Locke, uh, Graham Wilkins and Ray Wilkins are both playing for Chelsea. Ian Britton, uh, Mickey Droy, Chopper, uh, Steve Finiston, uh, Kevin Langley, uh, Swaney and um, and Clive Walker, of course. Lewington was substitute. Can you remember your line-up for that game, the first game? You, you're right, Jackson pulled off probably the save of the FA Cup in the dying second, well, dying minutes of that game. Who was the rest of the boys apart from you and Glenn? Um, well, the the, um, the full-back, I think, was Bobby Fisher, the right-back. Yes, correct. Uh, left-back was Bill Roffey. Yep. Um, at the back, we had um, Glenn Roder, Phil Hoadley, and I think Nigel Gray, because I think yes. Jimmy was playing three centre-backs. Yeah. At that time, well, that's what we'd played in the in the previous um, previous round, and and I think in midfield then we had Tony Gridlich and I think Peter Allen played. Um, I'm not sure he played in the home game. He played in the the other one away, um, and then there was um, yes, Kevin Godfrey that. on the right hand side, myself and Joe Mayo up front. Um, I'm, tr- I'm trying to Bennett. think who was Peter, Peter Bennett. Bennett was in midfield. Yeah, yeah, that was the yeah. change for the first and the second game. Right. Right. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, when you when you think at the end of that season that they sold Phil Hoadley and Glenn Roder, who were the heart of the defence, you know, and um, you, you can't take out players that, of that sort of stature and calibre in a team and not unless you replace them with with like for like or players that that are going to come in and, and fill the roles properly. And I don't think we ever did that, you know, but um, but Chelsea, had, I mean, Chelsea had a good side. I'd say you're right. They were on a downward spiral. Um, and I think, I know, two or three years later, because um, I think the following year, they sold Ray Wilkins to Manchester United, 79, I think. Um, and a lot, I remember when I was at, um, at Cardiff, we played we played Chelsea. Um, and I saw, so they'd actually gone down yeah. within you know, a couple of seasons. They'd actually been relegated. But, you know, being a big club like Chelsea, you know, they're always going to come back, aren't they? I think that's that's the thing about big clubs. They 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 may go down for two or three years, but, but they often come back, you know, whereas clubs like Orient that, that haven't got that massive fan base and that, if they go down, it's very difficult to come back and compete at the higher levels. Absolutely. The, the Have you any memories about the Chelsea fan that was dressed as a gorilla? Because there was a huge contingent behind the goal. Well, Chelsea were all around the ground and, and a wall collapsed, didn't it? You had to be taken yeah. off. Yeah, that that was, um, yeah, that that collapsed on on the side of the ground, the um, what's, what's now the West Stand. Yeah. Um, and to this day, 
I don't, I'm not sure who was a, who was to blame, but I know um, Brian Winston, the chairman, blame, did blame the Chelsea fans, yeah. although Chelsea as a club denied, as yeah. I understand, they denied that, you know. But it, the the war was, you know, it was one of them sort of uh, concrete walls that didn't have any sort of reinforcement and um really the i mean there was a big crowd and 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 i think it was just the pressure of the of the because they were standing up in those in those days and i think it was just the, the sheer numbers and the pressure within that and as soon as you sway forward you know you've got several hundred people going with that haven't you oh absolutely um, so yeah the war collapsed and for, but fortunately there was you know, no one was seriously injured, and I think that was that was really they're the sort of warning signs we should have been picking up, or the football authorities mm-hmm. should have been picking up about stadiums, which eventually they did. But it, you know, like anything, it takes quite a while to to change things, doesn't it? It certainly does. Brian uh, Winston, you referenced, he, he did make allegations that they'd received calls prior to the game that Chelsea were going to smash the ground up. But Chelsea used to do that in those days, anyhow, to a large degree. <laughs> Sometimes they, they do it still now. But Brian Mears did uh, calm it down and says, look, you know, we, it wasn't premeditated. There wasn't anything in it. There was just a, a large contingent from Chelsea. Um, you know, and when people do go from the back to the front and in those those days I think it's difficult for, for young football supporters to understand what it was like on the terracing and whether it be the side or the back when that crowd go you can't stop them and if there's a wall there you know sometimes and sadly it wasn't the first and it won't well it probably will be we don't see that now thank thankfully but there was about a dozen people injured wasn't there so you know it wasn't a great day for football but i don't think it was anything really sinister i think it was just a wall collapsed by the weight of people that that were to and throwing oh uh, yeah i think i think that that was it really as saying it's uh, mm. i mean chelsea as you say chelsea did have um uh, a reputation absolutely uh, and i mean i played at cardiff and and, and Cardiff had a reputation yeah. as well. You know, they're away fans. Uh, they've got great fans, yeah. but they did used to like a, a ruck, shall I say, when yeah. they went away. And funnily enough, I was looking at a post on Facebook that, that some of the fans put on, and um, they were saying, one of them said, yeah, uh, they were talking about the, a Chelsea game between Cardiff and uh, at Stamford Bridge mm. that I played in and they put some photos on and it was because it's in a group, you know, a Facebook group on Cardiff City away day fans. And um, one of them said, I went to that game, I remember it, and our coach, we went on the coach and it was bricked by the Chelsea <laughs> fans. So, you know, I mean, fans remember those sort of things, whereas players, you don't see, a, see them in the day. It's a, on, at the time, it's only when you read the papers afterwards that, that you, you know, you hear about these tales, but, but, you know, Chelsea fans did have a, a, a reputation for, uh, for fighting, shall we say. And, and especially if, if any of the home fans ever got into the shed end, because now, now you've mentioned that, I mean, there's a lot of Orient fans who, who have, have since told me that they went to the Chelsea game in the replay and they said that they they were walking around the stadium and a copper 
said to them, "Oi, lads, you got a ticket?" Uh, he said, "They said, no, no, we, you know, we've come down to 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 cheer the lads and see if we can get in and get." He said, "Come on, I'll let you in, five or each." And he get, you know, he, he actually let them in, but he let them into the shed end, yeah. which is which is where all the Chelsea fans were, and they say. They said to me, when you scored, they said, we couldn't cheer. Yeah. We were terrified mm. that, that, you know, they didn't know we were Orient fans. And he said, you know. We- when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So we, were, we, we just had to shut up and couldn't say a word. And, that. and, uh, and when, when we got the winner... And they said, again, we, we couldn't say a word, he said, until we got sort of about half a mile away from the state and we all started cheering and, and shouting, you know. But so, as, uh, I mean, it's amazing that you've got a copper, you know, allowing them in sort of illegally. <laughs> yeah, amazing, really. But again, that was the 70s, wasn't it? And in the 70s, it really wasn't a good idea if you were an away supporter to go in the shed. I mean, you're right, Chelsea had a rep. Lots of teams had a reputation. My team, Birmingham City, have always had a reputation. And my first um, encounter with Chelsea was at St Andrews, about 1973. I remember uh, Chelsea running amok that day at St Andrews. They were, they were fierce, but they were uh, a great team. They made a couple of changes in the second game, uh, Aylert come in and uh, Ray Lewington uh, come in as well. Finiston was uh, was on the subs bench. Going into that replay, what was your thoughts? You'd, you'd, you'd played Chelsea already. It was a nil-nil game. The, the, you know, it was a... It was it was an away day for Chelsea. As I say, they, they were dressed up. The, the one kid had got a gorilla kit on. But going back to Stamford Bridge, it was a different atmosphere the home games for a big team like Chelsea are different for Chelsea going away. You're literally now going into the Lions' den. What was your feelings in that second game, in that replay? You'd, you'd almost done them once. You had that goal disallowed. You're thinking, if only, can we do it again? What what was the what was your like going into the game, Pete? Well, I mean, from 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 my personal perspective yeah. i i was looking forward to it because yeah. i'd never played at stanford bridge at the time yeah you know so it was a it was a whole new experience going to play at stanford bridge you know big big club like like chelsea and that so i was really looking forward to it um but as i said the first half and i think we we didn't as a team we were we were 
and again, I'm being a bit critical of the manager. Yeah. That that the the whole team talk was, you know, everybody was given a job to, and we spent the whole sort of team talk talking about how we were going to stop the other team yep. playing. Um, and I think that was, and th- that came through a lot of the time in in the that season. Um, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't, you know, as a forward, you should work hard. You should work hard to close defenders down and that. But if when you're a defensive side, which we were, I mean, when you look at the statistics, we were the second lowest scorers in the division that season. You know, um, we sat back, we played deep. You know, we played five at the back and sat back. And when you're a forward, you you know, the gap between you as a forward and the, the defence is massive. Yes. And you can't, you know, physically, you can't be chasing back that far. Yeah. And, um, you know, we we really, I mean, it was difficult to, to get any sort of rhythm. We, we just weren't playing very well. And... You know, there was no belief in the team. You know, we, we lacked confidence as a team. Yeah. And I think, you know, when Bill Roffey scores the own goal, um, you know, a bit like the semi-final when we lost to Arsenal in the semi, we, we gave two own goals away that Malcolm McDonald claimed. Yeah. And yes. that coming back from them is very difficult. And I think it was only because it was half-time and the attitude amongst everybody was, well, lads, we better go out and do something because if if we don't, we're out. Yeah. And you know, suddenly you you start the players started to come forward more. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's what makes a difference. I mean, you know, you and I communicate quite a lot. We talk about yes, we do. Jack Grealish and yeah. Southgate and 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 it's that sort of negativity mm-hmm. that managers can impose on teams from their attitude yes. and it's it's crucial you've got to give players belief that they're as good as the opposition if not better yeah. and build players up and you know at half time i think it was it was the the guy peter angel who was who was acting as manager you know he, he was just encouraging us come on lads go out there you can do it you know you've got to believe in yourselves this is this is you know, otherwise you're out. You've yeah. got to get at the at them and make them worry about you, and that's what we did. Mm. You know, and it was as simple as that, really. You know, and and I think as, as when I got the when I scored the equaliser, you could see that the players' belief and they started going forward more. And I mean, all right, when we went two one up, I think there was about ten or fifteen minutes left. It was like the Alamo then. Then Chelsea started coming at us, and I, and I know that um, you know Clive Clive Walker was you know was very is a very was a very good player, and you know yeah. when you see the clip on the video, you know he he got he went close for quite a few times, and you know but we managed to hold on, and yeah. and you know that sort of really gave us the belief, and we took that belief into the sixth round. We went to Middlesbrough. Who, and that's not an easy place to go. Again, another first division side, and we 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 played a rear guard action. You know, we we sat back, and and I don't think we are hardly ever got over the halfway line. You know, myself and Joe, the the, the two centre two forwards, we were just chasing shadows ourselves. 
but we managed to keep it nil-nil and and we beat them in the replay in the six round two one so you know again it wasn't a fluke and and i believe to this day that had we have had a positivity uh from the management to to and believe and given us belief we had good enough players to have gone on and done much better and a couple of good signings with creative players Orient had a good enough side to have got promotion within, you know, the next season or two seasons, but it wasn't to be. And and that's that's football. You know, you you get teams get chances uh, because they have a nucleus of some good players, and if you add to them with with good players, you can take them on. But if you sell your players, it's hard to build rebuild the side again. Um, and I think that you know it's 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 one of the sad things about Orient. But I mean, nowadays they they've got new owners um, and they're really, you know, they're really ambitious. Um, there's a whole different feel at the club. There certainly is. But going back to Jimmy Bloomfield, I mean, he had a great team at Leicester and they really were an entertaining side. So you'd think that Jimmy was, you know, the ideal man to take Orient on and take them to the next step. But, you know, sometimes for whatever reason, it, it doesn't quite work out. Some of the headlines that that, um, that was written about you, what was your favourite one? There's Killer Kitchen. I mean, I'm reading this from the Gold Gourmet, the Peter Kitchen story. Fantastic book uh, with you and uh, Neil. N. Kaufman, uh, Kitchen Sinker, uh, Butter Knocked Out, Oh, Kitchen Sinks, Norwich, On the Boil, Kitchen Whistles in to score, The Orient Stunner. Uh, There's just, I mean, the name Kitchen just gives the licence for the journalists to put some wonderful headlines to stories that you write. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, the first one was, was obviously Kitchen Sinks, then. Yeah. Or they th- they thrown the kitchen sink at them. Yeah. You know, I mean that that sort of started at, when I was at Doncaster. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think you know it, it was. I think one of the good things about that cup run was that for some reason the both the Daily Mirror and the Sun yeah. took us under their wings, and we had we had their their two of their top writers, Kevin Mosley at the mirror and alistair ross at the sun and they they made it um their job to come with us and and follow us all through the the cup run so you know it was amazing that they we were actually getting fantastically uh pro uh publicity shall i say you know that they they um and you know they came and had a drink with us after and it and it was it was actually a very nice uh atmosphere between us so we did get a lot of positive publicity and and yeah you know it, it's uh because obviously goal scorers get get the headlines a lot of the time you know but you know i've always said yeah i did score some great goals and and um you know won matches by by the goals but it was a team a team game as i said when we drew nil nil against chelsea at home and when we drew nil nil at at um, Middlesbrough away, you know, it wasn't down to the forwards. It was down to the defence and the team, you know. And as a as a team, we we really had a good a good balance, um, you know. And I th- as I said, I think 
as I said, one of the key things about Jimmy was that he, he was a football man and he was a nice guy, really. Yeah. I mean, I didn't always get on well with him and clashed a bit because yeah. I felt that he was defensive. But, you know, he was actually a nice guy. And, and I, I think the one thing about person, personality is, is and it, it's not just football, it's in any walk of life, you tend to take your personality into your job. Yeah. So if you're a, an extrovert person, then you'll be an extrovert person in your job. And if you're an introverted person and shy, then you tend to be quiet and, and unassuming, shall I say. And I think Jimmy was a cautious man. You know, he, 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 you know, he wasn't overly, um, he was a family man. He wasn't overly exuberant and, and that. And, he, and he'd, come, he'd played at the top level with Arsenal, and played with good players. So I think his philosophy was that if you buy good players, then you don't have to really tell them what to do very much. Yeah. You know, and and I know he, he, he had Frank Worthington at, at Leicester and you know, who was a as a genius as a footballer. You know, and I think that was his philosophy. He he expected players to just you know, he'd he'd get the team, pick the team, and then players would just go out there and perform. And and my experiences in football is is that it's not that simple, mm. um, you know. And and even the best players in the world, um, you know, can only do it when they when they've got other players around them who are also giving them the right balls, and you've got the, the and, and service, and you've got the the right attitude from the manager, you know, and, and, and they're doing the right things. And, you know, who's, who's to say what is right, what's the right way to play and what's the wrong way to play and results are the way that, that you're judged. But as a player, I know that the more encouragement you get, the more positivity that's, that's given to players, you will go and, and uh, express yourself more. Absolutely. No, it was a damn Good player. He, he played at Birmingham City as well, and he's one of my dad's favourite players. I mean, my dad will always say, <laughs> Jimmy Bloomfield, what a player. And when you, you, you know, he was an inside forward, wasn't he, Jimmy? You look at him, he was just a creative, tremendous inside forward, but had this defensive persona at the Orient. You mentioned difficult. How difficult was it, because you don't like buttons, to dress up as the Pearly Queen? You had some really good PR, didn't you, as well? Not just you, but Orient, you know, as a, as a team. Yeah, I mean, well, we we were like the the Cinderella Club of of London. Yeah. And if you're, you know, if you're um, a Tottenham fan, an Arsenal fan, a Chelsea fan, or or Spurs, um, uh, you know, other big clubs in London, yeah. you 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 can't support one of your rivals, mm. but you can go and watch Orient. Mm. You know, and and so we used to. It's amazing that. In the cup room, we, we used to get a lot of fans coming from Spurs, from Arsenal um, and, and other clubs like West Ham. They would come and watch our game. So you, you'd be playing a league game at home and there'd be eight or, or 10,000. And then in the cup games, there would be um, 18 to 20,000. And a lot of them would be floating fans, you know, that would come. And, so, yeah, I mean, people liked, like Torian, they, you know, they didn't see them as a rival to their team. They saw them as a as a nice London club. There, there was rarely any trouble there. 
you could take your kids to a game and and usually get in. You know, that was usually room to to turn up on the off chance and get in. So a lot of people always liked Orient as a club. Um, and uh, yeah, as a as a as a an East End club, shall I say, it was. You know, we became like the Cockney, um, yeah. the second team in in East London. You know, um, but yeah, we did. We got great great publicity, and uh, and I think it it catapulted a lot of the the players, who you know, there's a, there's a lot of good players in teams that are unfashionable. Yes, and they don't get the exposure that they should have because they're playing for a you know an unfashionable team and what the cup run did it showed how good some of those players were you know like like phil holdley who'd who'd been at crystal palace and and moved across to orient because he couldn't get in the crystal palace side and became the kingpin of the team yeah. at the back and um and then had a great move went to norwich and and played there for a long time in the in the first division you know, Glenn Rolder moved to QPR and then had a you know played for Newcastle and and Watford all in the in the first division. So it it put those players into the limelight where they otherwise would have gone under the radar. I think you know. Um, so it was a fantastic um, thing for the club in every in every way, really. Absolutely, and on page 117 of your wonderful book, The Gold Gourmet, uh, Kitchen the Pearly King of Leighton, and it's a great little picture, you lifting <laughs> your right foot up. I mean, there's so many sequins and buttons on there, and, and Peter Kitchen says, but um, I don't like buttons. <laughs> I have an immense dislike for buttons, in fact. Uh, it's, a quote there. it's true, it's true. I, I don't know, I think it, when I was, a, when I was a, a little kid, I remember, my mum used to have a button box. Oh, I'm sure some people of my my age uh, might remember that. But she used to have a, a button box. So if ever you lost a shirt button or a coat button or whatever, she she'd go in this box and and you know sew them on your whatever had been uh, damaged. And I used to hate them. You know, the the whole thought of this other button that didn't belong on my shirt going on my shirt. I <laughs> And so when when they turned up with the Pearly King of Leighton uh, for the stadium and said, we want to do this promotional shot, I remember putting this very heavy coat on because yeah. it did, it weighed a ton. I bet it did. You'd be surprised. Yeah, it weighed a ton. And I remember doing these this promotional photo shoot, you know, as the Pearly King of Leighton and the East End and, and thinking, oh God, I hate in this. You know, I don't want these buttons to touch my skin or anything. It's really funny, uh, and that, you know. But but you know, it's one of them things you you just do it, don't you? And uh, and you know, once it's done, it's done. Absolutely. There was a 007, a James Bond uh, reference in the cup run as well. Photo, 007 photo shoot, now unreleased record. Uh, fantastic O's. It didn't come out because you got beat in the semi-final. But um, you must have had a lot of fun doing that as well. Again, lots of PR and good PR for the Orient in 1978. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, I remember when... when um... I used used to all get uh, get the the FA Cup songs, you know. They used yeah. to come out every year, um, and I mean we'd had a little 
players um, kitty, shall I say. So we were doing a lot of um, publicity around around London and the East End, you know, like opening pubs and 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 that, you know, and uh, we'd get we'd get paid and we'd put it into the this player's pot. And we we signed a deal with with Admiral uh, to wear their boots, um, you know. And it, none of us took anything for ourselves. We put it all into the pot, and we said, "Well, what we'll do is we'll share it out at the end." So, so yeah, we were doing that then. And I think because we were getting such publicity, um, they released the Spy Who Loved Me James Bond film. Yeah. Um, and um, one day they said, "Oh, you know, can you come?" You know come stay on after training we've got uh we want to do a photo shoot and this white lotus uh <laughs> came in through the side and onto the pitch and i think there's a picture of us all sitting on that and so you know we we did that one and then as you say we got to to the uh, semi-final and i remember saying um somebody said to us oh you've got to go to the studio in north london um for two o'clock and everybody said, no, we don't want this. And oh, look, you've got to go because if we get this, we'll release, we'll release it, and you know, it, all the money will go into the, the players' fund and and that. So we we turned up there, and um, it was funny because this I don't know whether it's just the way these people saw us at that time, but um, suddenly the guy who was doing the recording. They came out with about four crates of pale ale, you know, bottles of beer, and said, "Help yourself, lad. You'd probably have a few now." He said, "You'll sing a lot better." <laughs> and uh, so we all got tucked into these crates of beer and then sang this song. And it, you know, it, I think fortunately it wasn't released. <laughs> I wouldn't say unfortunately. I think fortunately it wasn't released. It wasn't the best. Um, best song you know but when we did it i had i had visions of us turning up on top of the pops you know the week before the fa cup final and uh, but it never happened what also didn't happen sadly and finally was you didn't receive the adidas division two golden boot award you actually missed a penalty during the season you only missed two in your career didn't you and bob yeah, atten yeah. took it but because Bob scored 22 league goals. You scored 21 league goals. Uh, Paul Radl- uh, Randall of Bristol Rovers scored 20. Uh, Mick uh, Vintner of Notts County scored 18. Stuart Taylor, 20. Neil Watmore, who went on to play for Martin Birmingham, 19. John Duncan of Tottenham scored 16. Garth Crooks, uh, also there. Phil Boyer and Gary Rowell. You were in good company. But Bob had just scored one more league goal than you although you were the top leading goal scorer in 1977-78 for any second division team your total was 29 five more than uh, than bob that got 24 yeah i mean that's probably one of the um the very you know the the sort of one of those things you regret Mm. um as you say you know i'd i'd you know, I scored uh, seven FA Cup yeah. goals on the way to, um, and I think, but the main achievement was actually scoring 21 goals, yes, 21 league goals in our team, yeah. <clears throat> because as I say, we weren't, <clears throat> excuse me, we weren't a creative team, mm. 
we didn't create lots of chances at all. You know, our our um, games were based on stopping the other team playing and hoping that <clears throat> the, the the one attacking, um, shall I say, uh, the, the main uh, area that we, we created from was having a winger, having a, a player wide. Uh, John Shadozi was um, started, but he got he broke his leg. Yeah. <clears throat> and we had um, a lad called Kevin Godfrey, who was a very underrated player. Yeah. Who, who took over from him and he and him crossing the ball, you know, getting crosses in um, myself, you know, holding the ball up and, and making darting runs and getting in behind defenders and big Joe Mayo up front who, you know, was a colossus of a guy, you know, and a, a real work really worked hard and, and honest as the days long, you know, and he put his head where a lot of people wouldn't. So, you know, there was a real honesty in that team. And when you, you know, if the ball came up, I knew that if Joe, unless Joe had a clear chance of going to head the ball, I knew that instinctively he would look to knock it down. Yeah. Um, and when you play with somebody like that, it, and, and you, you know, they're going to do what you expect. It gives you half a yard. Yeah. And that makes a hell of a difference for somebody like myself who, who is looking to always to find that bit of space in and around the box. So that was our main play. So we, so we didn't create a lot of chances. So to have scored 21 league goals in our team when, when, you know, as you say, players like Garth Crooks and John Duncan, who were playing for Spurs with, with players like Glenn Hoddle behind them, you know, um, that was a, a major achievement. And, it was the disappointment to this day because I, I've only I only ever missed two penalties in my career. One was my last game for Doncaster against Bournemouth before I left that the end of the season before, and um, we drew nil nil as it happens. And uh, but Doncaster were, had no chance of getting promotion. They were about eighth in the table, and and um, I'd scored a few penalties that season. And we played Luton. And it was a, it ended up a nil-nil draw. And as I ran up to take the penalty, the pitch was really muddy and I slipped in the mud and I put it past the post. And so I only ended up with 21 league goals. But that would have been, uh, that would have been the icing on the cake to have won that Golden Boot Award because, you know, it's, it's the one trophy that you can, you know, hold up and say, look, oh, look what I achieved that season. So, uh, so yeah, but you know, that football is all about disappointments as well as, as highs, you know, you've got highs and lows and, and I think you have to just look, look back on your career with knowing that, you know, you always gave a hundred percent, you were successful doing your job in scoring goals and, and, you know, you meet some very good people along the way and, and it's nice to be remembered, uh, by the fans you've played for and they say that you did a good job and that they appreciate you and I think that's all you can ever ask for really. Absolutely and you will be forever a Leighton Orient legend and for whatever club you played for Pete you know fans will always look back at your career and say Peter Kitchen give absolutely everything what a player top player and what nobody can ever take away from you in that season, 77-78, you scored more goals than any other player in the second 
tier of English football. No one can take that away. You've scored more goals than anybody else. And Garth Crooks was at Stoke City. I think it was just before his move to uh, to Tottenham Hotspur. So, Pete, can I thank you so much? Your book, it's a fantastic read. The Goal Gourmet, it's still out now. Go on to any... I suppose Amazon is the best, isn't it? That's where I go to get all my books. Just go Peter yeah, Kitchen, yeah, Goal yeah. Gourmet, and buy Pete's book because it's a fantastic read, a fantastic career, and a fantastic man. And can I thank you so much for your time, Pete, and your interaction as well on Facebook. It really is appreciated. And good luck to everybody at Orient. Through you, I always look at Orient's results. And I have backed them a couple of times recently, and they've got beat. But I'm going to still keep plugging away with Orient. <laughs> <laughs> so, so good luck to the O's, the magnificent and super O's. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Gabby. Yeah, it's appreciated and uh, nice to chat to you. Absolutely, you know, a real pleasure. It's uh, absolute honour, absolute honour, Peter. Thank you so much, sir. Take care. Cheers, Pete. Thanks and thanks for listening, guys. Cheers, Kitch. All the best, mate. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Thank you. Thank you. Sir. Bye-bye.